51 days, football fans. That's how long we've got until the first college football game of the season, and I personally cannot wait. Welcome in, everyone, to episode 38 of that live Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion and Matt Wenzel with you on Thursday, July 8th, 2021. Kyle is on vacation, which he confirmed to us via Microsoft Teams just before this recording. So uh, cheers, Kyle. I'm sure you're having more fun than us. But uh, Matt is here to talk some football. Uh, how was your 4th of July? Uh, fine. You know, usual. A lot of people shooting off fireworks in the neighborhood till at all hours of the night. Um, other yeah. than that, uh, it was a regular old weekend for the most part. Got some work done around the house. And yeah, that was it. It sounded like a war zone at my house on, on the third and the fourth, like just everywhere. I'm sitting on my front porch, like got fireworks popping off over here, over here. I'm like jumping every two seconds. And that basically went on until about one in the morning. So that was great. Yeah. My dog was not loving it. Do you got a dog? Because mine was terrible. No, I don't. But I know most dogs do not appreciate the sound of fireworks. Uh, you should get one of those, uh, they call thunder vests for you yeah yeah well this is like a new thing i didn't you know my dog used to not be afraid of fireworks and now all of a sudden he's like freaking out all the time so it's like a new tick that he's developed so yeah might have to look into one of those uh definitely searched on amazon a couple times this weekend because he wasn't loving it um so whatever i think we're done with the fireworks for a little bit now uh so we can put those Not away neighborhood <laughs> oh great great it's still going on four days later <laughs> put them Every away day they were shooting them off they were shooting them off last night about eight seconds after it stopped pouring rain so wow save them for next year people save them for next year uh, but anyways, uh, appreciate everyone listening here today, uh, checking back in after a couple week break. If you could please like, rate, review uh, the show wherever you're listening, be very much appreciated. Give us a follow on Twitter. Check out our work at MLive.com slash Spartans. Uh, we're all over it, even though it is the summer off season right now. Coming up on today's show, uh, we will be beginning our preview series of the Michigan State football team, sort of talking about the quarterbacks and running backs today. Matt uh, has been doing stories and we'll be doing more stories about uh, each position group. So we'll just kind of break them down in further detail on today's show. We've also got some scheduling news and two key additions uh, for the, for the, the Michigan State football team have also been announced since we recorded last. So we'll touch on that as well. We appreciate you listening today to the Spartan Confidential Podcast. So, Matt, uh, we got scheduling news. Quickly, we'll just touch on basketball. Kyle's not here, um, but Michigan State's uh, Big Ten ACC opponent was revealed, I think, last week, and it it is Louisville, uh, not Duke, which is a bit of a surprise, as Tom Izzo had been repeatedly sort of hinting that Maybe Duke would be playing Michigan State in this year's ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, that's all spawning from Duke saying they're going to play a return game at the Breslin Center after the Champions Classic was moved to Cameron Indoor last year. So I think Michigan State fans, it seemed like even Tom Izzo was planning on having Duke come to the Breslin Center in uh, what it would turned out to be Mike Krzyzewski's farewell season. That will no longer be the case as Duke is instead heading to Ohio State and Michigan State will host uh, Louisville for um, the fourth time since 2012, which is uh, an interesting thing there. I mean, uh, they, I, I remember 2015, they played in Syracuse in an Elite Eight game, uh, which Michigan State won in overtime to go to the Final Four. And they've since met twice in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. 
in 2015, the following season uh, in East Lansing, where Michigan State lost, and then during the 2018-19 season, uh, where Michigan State uh, won at Louisville. So uh, this is a matchup we've seen quite a bit recently. And uh, while I was really hoping for the Duke matchup, and we got a lot of narratives on Twitter, uh, talking about Coach K dodging the Spartans and he's afraid to play at Michigan State in his final swung song year. I may have fed into that a little bit because it's fun. I mean, it's probably unlikely. I would think that the chances, and I think Kyle would agree with me, that it seems like the chances that Duke is going to play at, at the Breslin Center this year is very unlikely considering the schedule they already have. Uh, it would I mean, certainly appear to be the case, yes. Right, because if you add Duke onto a schedule that already has Butler and Louisville and that tournament they're playing in and, you know, whoever else they want to add, plus the Big Ten schedule, you're starting to look at a pretty tough schedule there. So looks like we won't get a look at Coach K at the Breslin Center in the final season, which is a little bit disappointing since Izzo and him have had such great battles through the years. Um, but, I mean, Louisville and Michigan State – also two very proud programs should be one of the headlining matchups for the big 10 ACC challenge. So we'll look forward to that. And at least we don't have to have Michigan state offer up some sort of like cringe worthy tribute to the battles between coach K and Izzo. Cause I feel like they would begrudgingly uh, pull something out like on the video board or present them with a blazer or something. Yeah. You know, those farewell tours are always a little bit awkward. Um, Although I will say, if I'm remembering this right, it's just clicked in my mind. Was it, I think it was Judd Heathcote's final season. They went to like Illinois or something and he was given a football helmet because <laughs> one, one year he had like slammed the ball and it came back and hit him in the, in the face. I may be completely misremembering this. It just, for some reason that registered, but um, yeah, the, the farewell things are a little weird, um, but uh, you know, the last time Duke came to Breslin, it didn't go out so well for Michigan State. Um, <laughs> game started at like four in the morning and, you know, they retired Draymond, Draymond Green's number and Duke uh, absolutely rolled them. So, um, yeah, I'm sure they would like to make up for that, but uh, it doesn't look likely to happen this year. Nope, but probably in the future, I would think, and it'll be John Shire leading the Blue Devils uh, at that point. So, uh, you know, Louisville, Michigan State, Another good game. We'll look forward to that one. Uh, and also some more scheduling news if we want to just pump more narratives here, Matt. Uh, <laughs> we had news this week that Michigan State is moving up its series. Uh, football, we're talking about here now, switching to the gridiron. Uh, Michigan State is moving up its series with Washington to next year and the year after that. And it will replace a planned series with Boise State. Uh, Matt? You saw it. I brought it up on Twitter. Uh, you saw the narratives flying after Caden Hauser, who we'll talk about in a little bit, decommits from Boise State, comes to Michigan State, and three days later, the series is canceled. You can see how the fan base would put two and two together there, thinking Boise State's like spite quitting uh, the series. But uh, based on our brief chat, you don't think that, ha that, that has no legs, right? Uh, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, first of all, I don't – the notion that they would cancel a home-and-home -home series against Boise State on one recruit committing, he isn't even signed, is, is pretty ridiculous. Um, also, and both teams would have to agree to it. So, uh, you know, the, there's a buyout. It was what, uh, I, was it, five, it was like a million-dollar buyout, I think, from, from the Boise State series. I can't remember. I have to go look it up again. But, um, no, that's not going to that, – that's not the case. You know, this just fit well with what they're doing. But it is really interesting to see them just swap out the dates – you know, that series is, was canceled and, and now it's uh, Washington and it's, it's 
right here next season and the year after that. So that's really interesting. You know, it gives, you know, Boise isn't what they were, you know, a little while back. Um, but, uh, you know, Washington, obviously, marquee opponent in Pac-12. Uh, trip to Seattle would be pretty pretty amazing if anybody has seen the stadium and the setup there. Um, it's pretty impressive. So, yeah, it'll be a, it'll, it'll, it should be a tougher test. But, uh, you know, again, you're, you're switching basically. You know, Boise State isn't technically West close, but close enough. But, um, yeah, one good series swapping out for the other, and it opens up two future dates in 2020 – was it 2028 and 2031, I believe yeah. is what it was. So, um, yeah, plenty of time to, to reschedule those games in the future. Yeah, and Washington plays Michigan this year, so that will be uh, mm-hmm. interesting. It's sort of like a primer for Michigan State fans. Um, so, yeah, Michigan, and, Michigan State and Washington, they haven't played very much. I was looking at it. It uh, looks like three times in their history. Washington has won twice. Michigan State has won once. Uh, looks like they played in East Lansing in 1969. Michigan State won that game. The following year they were in Seattle. Washington won 42-16, and then the most recent meeting was on Christmas Day 1997 uh, at the Aloha Bowl, a game Washington won 51-23. So not an opponent that Michigan State plays often, but um, they seem to really love these Pac-12 crossover home-and-home series. I mean, did they, like, set, like, a goal or a mandate to play Pac-12 teams because they had the Oregon series, they had the Arizona State series – now they've got this Washington series. It just seems like Michigan State likes to play the Pac-12 teams more so than other conference opponents, although I guess they do have Miami and Boston College on the schedule. The yeah, next two yeah years. I think it just depends. I think you want to, you know, a program, you want to expand your, your footprint. So, you know, the Notre Dame thing, that was good while it lasted. I think most fans like that. But when, you know, when it's not working out, um, you know, it, I don't think it hurts to, to get those opponents that aren't in the Midwest, you know. So, you you know, the Miami series, which so far is only going to be half of the series unless they reschedule the 2020 game for East Lansing. Um, but, yeah, you get Washington. You get, um, like you said, Boston College. You get out on the East Coast, not that they're never there with, you know, now with Maryland and Rutgers. Um, but then the future, you know, Oregon again and, and BYU, the makeup game in 2032 that you should all set your calendars for. Um <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt. I think. I think that helps get a little bit more exposure. But I think we know from uh, history that the West Coast trips haven't always don't usually work out too well uh, for Michigan State in the non-conference schedule. Um, the last time they were out there was Arizona State in 2018, and it was a million degrees for like a 9 p.m. local kickoff or 8 p.m. local kickoff, whatever it was out there. Yeah, that was um, brutal. Yeah, it was a game they should have won, and uh, they they didn't. So uh, offense folded in the second half. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it helps to get out there. I think definitely you're going to recruit out west. You're going to recruit in Florida. Might as well play a game there every once in a while. You could say that about both the Arizona State games, two of the more frustrating football games that I've ever seen. The home game a couple years ago was brutal too. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I like it, but I mean, we've seen them go out there and lose to Cal. We've seen them go out there and lose to Hawaii. We've seen them go out there and lose to Arizona State, as you mentioned. They lost the first Oregon game. Um, So yeah, it is a tough trip, I think, but I, I do like to see those crossover games that we don't get to see very often, especially when they're at home stadiums and Husky Stadium there or whatever it's called, American Airlines or whatever they want to call it. It's definitely one of the more picturesque stadiums in all of the country, and it's a great atmosphere too. They love their football uh, there in Seattle. So um, it should be an electric time and an electric atmosphere. So I'm looking forward to that series getting moved up. Um, but, yeah, 
we got to kill the narrative about Caden Hauser. I kind of fed into it a little bit too much, probably. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's fun, right? I know, I know, fans. It, it, there's a reason recruiting is is well read. It's because the the next thing is the is the best thing. You know, whatever whatever is unknown is what people are most interested in. So yeah, Caden Hauser. He looks by all accounts very good quarterback, good prospect, but. If you think it's highly likely he comes in there as a true freshman and starts uh, for that first game against Boise State, that is that is probably not going to happen, to say the least. Um, not that it's impossible, but, uh, you know, he'd be coming in and, and, you know, things happen now quicker, guys leave. But, you know, there's a good chance Peyton Thorne could be the returning starter and still have, you know, eligibility remaining. And the same thing in 2023. And, and you know, so – I would, uh, yeah, I would not buy into that narrative at all. I'll wait to get the FOIA back to see uh, if Caden Hauser's name is mentioned in an agreement between Michigan <laughs> State and, and Boise State to cancel the series, which I can guarantee you it is not. Let me just say, Le'Veon Bell jumped over one too many of our guys. We are not playing you guys again. Sorry. You're done. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, and also I want to make sure I did look it up. I was right. My memory for once was correct. It was Illinois. Judd Heathcote got a helmet from, Lot, from Lou Henson, and it's on YouTube if you want to have a laugh. Uh, they have a quick clip of him getting the helmet and then the replay of when Judd slammed the ball on the floor and it came back and hit him. So he was a good sport about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i like that that was a little bit before my time of following uh you know the bat, the hoop squad religiously but that's awesome i like that uh you know what else i like is these additions that michigan state has brought on we've we we're just talking about caden hauser he's the three star four star at some sites borderline quarterback fresh off a trip to the elite 11 finals uh, where he performed quite well and i'll let matt talk about that in a second uh, we also got a, a new coaching staff addition uh for the spartans but let's talk about hauser first he was the buzz last week this is a, a commitment that we expected to happen uh once you know the quarterback chips began to fall all signs pointed to him recruiting or committing to Michigan State, which he did. Um, and this is a big boon for the for the class. By all accounts, a, a very talented kid. We're seeing all the the viral off balance throws on the internet and on Twitter. Um, so it looks like the kid can play. But uh, Matt, uh, how did he do at the Elite Eleven Finals, and uh, what kind of commit are they getting from Caden Hauser? Uh, I mean, they're getting a talented quarterback. You know, they missed on Duffy. Um, they missed on, I guess you could say they missed on Nico Markiel. Yeah. He, he had taken an official visit right before Hauser, and he committed to West Virginia. Now you can figure it out, you know, how you want and whether which one they preferred. But obviously both are high on the board. That's why you bring them in for, for official visits. So I think they're very happy with what they got. Um, and, you know, he, he, it's an interesting situation. Um, you look at – he, he was from Nevada. He transfers to St. John Bosco, which is one of the best uh, high school football programs in the nation. I, he had an injury his sophomore year, which limited, obviously, you know, that's a big year for getting out there, getting your name out there, recruiting, going to all the camps. And then junior year, you know, he, he comes to this big time program and um, he wasn't even the starter. Well, I mean, I guess he split time. So, you know, they had a four-star 2023 kid and basically Hauser and him, um, split reps the whole the whole season, and what you see on film is, is impressive. Um, the numbers were pretty good. Uh, granted, I will tell you that most kid the kids are going to put on their when they put their huddle uh, video out there, you're going to see the highlights. You're not going to see the uh, the mistakes for the most part. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, he did well at, at the Elite 11 finals, just getting the invite there, you know, you're one of only 20. Um, so getting an invite alone is, is a pretty big honor. And then he got selected to the Elite 11, which is actually comprised of 12 people, um, which is always a fun way. To, well, fun. It's always fun to try and word that in a story, but um, I think the rationale is they pick an MVP and then 11 more guys. So um, yeah, he did really well in uh, Manhattan Beach. Uh, he finished, uh, he actually tied for first in the Pro Day event uh, before losing in a throw-off. So technically finished second. He was ninth in the Target Challenge. So um, yeah, people are out there, said he did really well. By all accounts, Michigan State's getting a good quarterback. And, you know, assuming that he signs and, and still shows up there, then it'll be up to him to to prove, uh, you know, that he, the fans are justified in all their excitement right now, I guess you'd say. But, uh, uh, it's you know, Michigan State's had a history of guys going there. Um, Lombardi, who is now in Northern Illinois, was the last guy to be there. Anthony Russo, the grad transfer from Temple, he actually made the was named to the Elite 11 in, in 2015. And then you go back, Syed Weaver, Brian Lewerke, Tyler O'Connor, you know, these were guys that were competed in the finals, but weren't named to the lead 11, but um, they've had about, I think, 13 guys, um, if you count Russo, um, in that event. And then, you know, as far as Caden Hauser, I mean, he's a guy who's gonna, you know, like you said, he's not, we don't really expect him to come in and start next year. I suppose it's possible depending on how this season goes, but definitely uh, one of the higher end quarterback recruits that Michigan State has pulled in in a while. And it's nice to see Mel Tucker, do that. And speaking of recruiting and on the recruiting trail, uh, the football team, Mel Tucker, also adding Detroit Cast Tech's legendary head coach, Thomas Wilcher, to the staff. Uh, he's going to be the, do, I love this title, it really cracked me up, Director of Community and High School Relations, uh, which to me just screams, I'm going to help you recruit kids in Detroit. But what did you think yeah. of this? What did you think of this hire? Absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely what it tells you. I mean, that's straight up what it says in the, in the, when they, in the press release for his job description is quote, build and coordinate relationships with key groups in the state of Michigan to enhance the reach and engagement of Spartan football in the community. Um, now, first of all, Thomas Wilcher uh, is one of the most accomplished and respected high school coaches in the state. So, you know, he, his name is known, you know, all over the state. So it's not just Detroit, but I mean, it's pretty clear where the, where the bulk of his emphasis is because he's a Detroit native. He's been the head coach at Cass Tech for the last 24 years. Um, he's won three state titles. He's won, he won three straight titles as, as Cass Tech's uh, uh, boys track coach back in the 90s. Um, he taught phys ed at, at Cass Tech. I mean, Thomas Wilcher knows Detroit. Everybody knows him. So it's a big name. And, you know, and, and this is this is Mel creating a position to enhance Detroit recruiting. And, you know, he said it the, the day he was hired when we were talking to him uh, off the stage. He got asked about recruiting and, you know, he said, we got to win Michigan. We got to win Detroit. So, um, obviously, last year's recruiting cycle, they got guys from the area. But, you know, that recruiting cycle was obviously complicated due to COVID. So, now as things open up, become a little more clear. And, obviously, Thomas Wilcher has connections. And I that can only help Michigan State and Mel Tucker. And I think it's obvious the relationship there, there may have been some issues, um, you know, with the fallout from Curtis Blackwell, you know, that was, you know, Mark D'Antonio brought him in specifically to head up recruiting. And, you know, he and Curtis is still very well connected through his sound mind, sound body stuff, the camps. I saw him last month in, at the Ferris camp. Mel was there. And, you know, it's, it's Mel has an established relationship with him. The lawsuit, the, you know, the him not being retained, all the stuff, you know, his 
the lawsuits involved with the sexual assault investigation, all that, that, you know, that's, there's obviously baggage there between um, the university and, and Curtis, which affects Detroit recruiting, I think, to some extent still. Maybe not a ton as much as it maybe it did a couple years ago. Um, but I think it, there's still something there um, in at least establishing, you know, Mel and the new staff being able to, you know, hook up with these guys and create ties. Um, but the stuff between Curtis and, and the university and Mark, that's, that's not on Mel. You know, Mel had in a relationship with Curtis before. Um, any of this stuff happened that's independent of it. So um, anyways, long way of getting to it. Thomas Wilcher will, can only help through Detroit recruiting. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. And um, well, obviously with Cast Tech, you know, it's a program that is produced. He, he coached eight NFL draft picks there and there will continue to be talent coming out of there. You know, it varies by cycle. Um, and that there's actually a little bit of a complication with hiring a guy from the, in the off field role, but uh, you'll see, uh, you'll see definitely him be involved in recruiting in Detroit. And again, that can only help him. And he's comfortable in the green and white. So that's, yeah, that's, a, same, good, that's a plus same, there. Same colors. And to clear it up, because he is an off field, he's not one of the 10 on field coaches. This was the thing that kept coming up yesterday. There's an NCA rule about individuals associated with a prospect that basically says you hire a guy for a non coaching position, which means you know, a role like this or an analyst or something like that, not one of the 10 on-field coaches. Um, there's basically a two-year window on the front end and the back end where you can't, um, you can't have a player who would be associated with this person. Um, Kalen uh, Gervin is the last scholarship guy Michigan State signed from Cal Tech. That was 18, so he's out of that window. Um, they do have a redshirt freshman receiver, Sebastian Brown from Cal Tech. Um, but he was, he's a walk-on who was brought on, I think right before D'Antonio, um, retired. So Michigan state got a waiver for him because it really doesn't have anything to do with this. So basically Michigan state can't sign a cast tech guy in the 22, 2022 class without it being a violation, but they can in the 2023, as long as the guy isn't an early enrollee. So, um, anybody worried about that, uh, that preventing Michigan state from recruiting cast tech in the next couple of years, there's the answer. Glad you brought that up. I was gonna gonna ask for some clarification on that because I wasn't yeah. so well, people, totally. Yeah, and people keep bringing it up like, well, how come, how come Michigan can do it with Ron Bellamy and West Bloomfield, and they can't with Gas Tech? And the difference is that Ron Bellamy was hired as an on-field position coach, so they can get guys from his former school this cycle without a problem. When you hire an off-field role, um, there's where the the rule comes up, and people feel uh, strongly on both sides of it. Yeah. Well, either way, it looks like a home run hire for me. I'm glad you brought up Blackwell because that's obviously part of the reason Michigan State has lost some of their Detroit connections. I mean, say what you want about, you know, the whole thing between him and D'Antonio. It didn't, I mean, and the, the lawsuits got thrown out, or at least Blackwell's against D'Antonio got thrown out. But I think the damage was done, even if there was no convictions or even if he didn't win the, the lawsuits. I mean, from an optics well, standpoint, it didn't help. <laughs> well, I mean, he wasn't retained, and he and he sued. He filed three different lawsuits against Mark Antonio, the university, and and its you know leaders. So, I mean, there's obviously some bad blood there. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, that doesn't. It's not really. It doesn't really have anything to do with Mel, other than you know he's an employee of Michigan State University, and you know Michigan State was party to those lawsuits. So hmm. that's it. Home run hire, though, with Thomas Welcher, I think. You know, a really savvy move by Mel uh, to sort of just get a guy who knows the area, knows football, well-respected. 
I think a lot of people are excited about this one, even if it's not a coaching role. I think that people think he's going to have a really uh, positive influence on the program and especially with some of the kids they could possibly pull from Detroit. So, and uh, he's a Michigan guy, which makes it even more interesting. Yes. He played at Harbaugh and he was, (laughs) you know, he was a running back there. He was an all American um, track and field athlete. So um, just kind of, you know, you know how that's come on over. Come on over. It just makes him a little more interesting, you know, for fans, at least in fans eyes. So we'll see. We'll take them, man. We'll forgive him for that. We'll forgive him for that. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, let's move on to our last segment here today. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, Matt is uh, currently running down his second go-around of position previews ahead of fall camp here uh, in the summer. He published the quarterback one, uh, what, two days ago, yesterday? And yes, uh, running backs are, are coming down the pipe here, I think, before the weekend. So uh, look out for that. But um, we just wanted to sort of um, look, at, look at the Spartans position by position as these come out. We'll start with quarterbacks. Uh, we know it's probably between Peyton Thorne, who started uh, a, a, at least one game last year and got experience in others. And it's going to be between Anthony Russo, who is the transfer from Temple. Uh, Rocky Lombardi, as Matt mentioned, has transferred. He's gone. He's in Northern Illinois. The other guys haven't really played. And you've got the true freshman, Hamp Fay. So we wouldn't really expect a whole lot from him either this year, um, although I know a lot of people like him as well. So we've got a fall camp here. We had the spring ball. Heading into the spring, I was in the camp that maybe they brought Anthony Russo in to start. I thought that he was going to be the starter. But then we watched the spring game, we watched spring practice, and it seemed maybe like Thorne maybe had a little bit of a leg up just because he'd been in the system longer, and that's obviously going to be an advantage for him. How do you handicap the competition as of right now ahead of fall camp? I mean, that's basically, I think, you know, it's Peyton Thorne is now the only quarterback on the roster who has taken a snap for Michigan State. Um, So he's more the youth, although he's now now a redshirt sophomore. He's only played in four career games. One of them was basically put in – in the very late and garbage time to hand off the ball. Um, so that's the inexperienced, the youth, I guess you'd say. And then, and then Russo's got all the experience, you know, 16 and 10 record as a starter at Temple. This is a six year guy. He's taking advantage of the, the extra year given everybody due to COVID. He's third in Temple history and completions, yards and touchdown, passing touchdowns. Um, big arm, he's 6'4", 245. He's a big guy. He's, you know, your typical pro style quarterback, not that he can't move. I think he had seven rushing touchdowns at Temple. Um, but, you know, after the spring game, first open spring practice, you know, he basically said, yeah, you know, I can get out there if they need me to move a little bit, but I know what my scholarship is for. And that's to stand in the pocket and throw the ball. So he's no, <laughs> he knows what, what he was brought in to do. And that was, you know, he was brought in to, to increase the competition in the room. You know, he committed, Rocky left, and it became pretty clear that it would be Russo or Thorne. And that's certainly the way it looked in the spring uh, in the, at the end of spring practice. And nothing has changed right that we know of to, to change that. So um, I think like you mentioned, the experience, that's an edge. Well, experience in the system in Michigan state system under Jay Johnson, that's an edge to Thorne. He spent a year in it, although it was a really strange season, obviously. Um, <laughs> And versus Russo, you know, he got here in January and he's learning on the fly. And, you know, he had three different head coaches and three different offensive coordinators at Temple. So he thinks that that experience and being forced to learn new schemes quickly um, helps him in this situation. But, 
you know, he, he had said that, you know, after the spring practice, he said, you know, I, I think I'm light years ahead of where I was in January. And I hope that's the case between now and the start of fall camp. So uh, yeah, I, I handicapping it. I don't know. I, I would give maybe, uh, maybe I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was thinking 60, part of 40 me, thorn. <laughs> yeah. Right yeah. But I don't know. I think maybe something like that. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, it's, it's really close. You know, I wouldn't put it 60, 40. I think it's even closer than that. I don't know when we'll get an answer on who will be the starter. Um, it might be, you know, eight, 9 PM Eastern time um, <laughs> on uh, September 3rd when, when they're at Northwestern, that was when we, we found out who was starting uh, this past season when Rocky Lombardi came out for the first offensive series. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good competition. We know, I think with Russo, you know where he is. You know what he's got, you know, minus learning a new system and how he adapts. You know, he's got all that experience. You know he can throw the ball. He's got a big arm. You know he's also turnover prone, 28 or 32 picks in his last 28 games. He admitted that at times he tried to do too much. But he's, he's you know, he's, a, he's ready to play. He's ready to contribute. I think – you might, there's a slight bounce. Like if, if, if Thorne is right there and it's neck and neck, do you give him the job? Because then you're building for the future, you know, because mm-hmm. if Russo would be a one-year stopgap and this is it for him at, in college versus Thorne having the, the remaining years left. So uh, it'd be interesting. And I think Thorne is maybe has more of a higher upside just because you don't know what he's really capable of yet because garbage time against Iowa um, he got in for replacement duty against uh, Indiana and Ohio State, and then he got the start at Penn State. And, you know, we all saw in the second quarter there is potential there. There are three touchdown passes in that quarter, and he's a mobile guy. But um, you still, we don't, we don't have enough body of evidence to know really what his, his potential is. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was his first career start, the Penn State game. I think that's mm-hmm. the one where – we all sort of opened our eyes and went, oh, maybe this guy can play. I mean, 325 yards, three touchdowns, the interception. I mean, we saw most of that came in the second quarter, and then the Spartans kind of waned in that game. But we saw the potential there. And I do think that we need to talk about Anthony Russo in terms of, yeah, he's got experience, but, you know, 32 touchdowns of 44 or 32 interceptions to 44 touchdowns in his career. Last year he had six of them in three games. And when you're talking about a Michigan State team that struggled with turnovers last year, I mean, what what, didn't they have five of them in the season opener or lost to Rutgers? Seven. Uh, Oh, it was seven? Good God. It was worse than I remembered. Clearly I tried to block that out. it It was seven turnovers. Oh, my gosh. It's worse than I remember. Anyways inconsistent this is from your story i mean michigan state quarterbacks have 41 interceptions combined in 33 games spanning the last three seasons and russo as a veteran guy who struggled with turnovers through his career i mean that's a good way to get benched quickly because if you're out there and you're throwing picks and putting your team in an adverse situation uh you're not gonna last long on the on the field especially if the competition is as close as we think it is yeah, that's, I mean, that, and that could easily be the deciding factor. I mean, and it often is in a lot of quarterback competitions is who's going to make, make the fewest mistakes. And uh, I think it's been pretty clear. Everybody who, anybody who's listening to this knows that Michigan State's offense um, has <laughs> created much margin for error um, in, in the last three years. It's been bad. Um, and the turnovers obviously haven't helped. So they're going to need uh, whoever is the quarterback to do a lot better job taking care of the ball. Um, to give themselves a chance to win. And then, then, you know, obviously it doesn't hurt when the running game, if you have an actual running game that takes 
a little bit of the pressure off the quarterback and yada, yada, yada. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. So we'll have, they'll have a start, a different starting quarterback, uh, season opening starting quarterback for the third straight year. Um, it's a matter of figuring out who it is. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would, I would give, I would give Thorne the slight edge right now. Um, but we'll see if what uh, Russo can do, um, between now and, and two months. What would you say the chances are that we have a situation where both quarterbacks are playing significant time? I don't know. You know, that's a good question. I, 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 I would be, it would be interesting to see that happen. Um, I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility. Um, I think when we asked really dragging my memory now, I think when we asked Jay Johnson about this last year going into the season, he said it was a possibility if I recall. Um, and I mean, that's, what ended up really happening, but only because Rocky was not playing well um, and throwing too many interceptions. And that's when Thorne came in, but you didn't, there was never really that, there was never that situation where one guy comes out and starts the game. One guy gets the next series. That was never the case. So I I think every coach would prefer to be all in with one guy. I think that makes things a lot easier and smoother, but sometimes the situation might force you to, to go outside of that and try something different. And maybe that's the case. And uh, not to be remiss, those are not the only, those are not the only quarterbacks on the roster. So um, uh, we have uh, uh, Hamp Fay being the newcomer. Noah Kim, he was uh, he took a red shirt, didn't play as a freshman last year, and he actually looked good in the uh, in the open spring practice. Mm-hmm. Um, he had leapfrogged uh, Theo Day for the third spot on the roster, and he he connected well. I think it was uh, uh, Ian Stewart. He had a couple good throw connections with, but um, you know, younger guy, six two, one hundred and eighty pounds. So you know. The frame is a little bit of a concern in the Big Ten, even if he was to, you know, have the best arm talent. Um, but I did, he, he did post a clip of him, uh, some impressive uh, bench press numbers um, in, from his home gym or wherever it was recently. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think, yeah, you go in and I would, I guess you always leave the window open for somebody else to take the job that you don't see, but I would be shocked if it wasn't uh, Thorne or Russo and if it were, you know, Kim or, or somehow Amp Faye was to come into that would be a, obviously a huge surprise. <laughs> Let's move on to the running backs because that's, I think, a a position where Michigan State has really reloaded and at this point I think has a lot of quality depth. I mean, Michigan State has not been able to run the ball uh, really in any of the last three, four seasons. Last year they were 121st in the country in rushing the football at 90 yards a game. I mean – 122nd at 91.4. Okay, I guess I got a slightly different number here on this site, but I have, you know, like – that, that's brutal. I mean, Baylor, Louisiana Tech, Purdue, Louisiana Monroe, UMass, Mississippi State. Those are the only teams behind Michigan State in terms of total rushing, at least at the list I'm looking at here. I mean, that, that, that's not good enough for a Michigan State program that for years and years and years has had quality running backs, whether it's Lorenzo White or Javon Ringer or Le'Veon Bell or Jeremy Langford or, you know, take your pick. I mean, TJ Duckett. It, Michigan State has had running backs through the years, and it's been a position of strength, especially when the team is good. They've always got a good running game anchored by a great line and a good running back. And lately, that just has not been there, Uh, and it's been to the detriment of the entire offense, as we've talked about. You mentioned briefly in the quarterback discussion, you know, quarterback's best friend is is a functioning run game because then the defenses can't, you know, focus on one thing. So... We've got a lot of guys that could potentially see carries this year. I mean, last year, 
it wasn't good last year. I mean, I'm looking at it. Let's see. Uh, Connor Hayward got 65 carries at 200 yards. Jordan Simmons, 56 carries, 219 yards. Those were the leading rushers on the team. Elijah Collins completely disappeared. Um, so we've got Harold Joyner III from Auburn as a transfer who's come in. And I think most notably Kenneth Walker from Wake Forest is coming. And he's probably the presumed starter. Would you agree? I, would, I, I think Walker has a very good chance to start, yeah. I would put it at Walker or or um, Elijah Collins, you know, if, if he can have a bounce back year. Because, you know, when we talked to him in the spring, um, he got diagnosed with COVID last summer, and he just wasn't – said he wasn't the same after that. You know, it took a while to get back. He wasn't where he needed to be. And I think anybody who watched the 2019 season then watched what happened last year – I mean, he wasn't the same guy. He didn't look anything like the same running back um, from day one. So, um, yeah, Walker, you watch his tape. You see his, you know, his highlights and the numbers. He's, it's impressive. He's, you know, he's got the ability to dig in and, and get some yards of the line of scrimmage. He shows good vision. He's also, you know, a big play threat. Um, he averaged, I think it was 5.3 yards per carry in two seasons at Wake Forest. Um, and somehow so, and he, he had 579 he yards rushing in both his seasons. Yeah, yeah. I remember when he, when he first committed, I was looked at that like 10 times. I'm like, that's got to be a misprint. I can't help, you know. So, um, yeah, and he, he, the thing is, he wasn't even the starter there. So, uh, I think 500-yard games over those two seasons, despite not being the starter. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would put my money on him being the starter this year. Uh, I think Collins has a shot if he can bounce back and, then, you know, He's, he's clearly seems like he's committed to trying to do so. Um, and then after that, you know, it's, they have seven scholarship running backs in the room now. Um, so you got Connor Hayward coming back and, you know, his career average of yards per carry, I think is 3.9. So um, that's not a good amount of work. So I think we know what, what Connor is as a running back. We've seen flashes at times. Uh, Northwestern game last year was, was, I would say probably about as, as good as he's ran the ball since being at Michigan state. But, he, you know, I think he's a guy – he's got a skill set. He's got great hands. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. So, I that the Michigan game. We've seen that over his career. Um, then after that, you know, Donovan Eaglin, he didn't play as a true freshman last year. We'll see what he can do in the mix. Davion Prim comes in as a three-star uh, recruit from Oak Park. And then um, Joyner is interesting because he was a four-star kid, but he, he never really caught on at Auburn. His numbers were limited. Uh, but he's also a big guy. I think he's 6'4", so – It'll be interesting to see how they use that use him in you know in the offense if they can you know use him in a unique way. So um, yeah, I mean, there's only so many carries to go around. I think you'll see them really focus on probably three, two to three guys um, who separate themselves. There were games last year where they get you know five guys got carries, and that's I think that's a little too many. So um, yeah, Walker Collins, those are the two guys I'd say at the top of the list heading into the fall. Connor Hayward cannot carry the ball. He's, he's oh, got to stop carrying the ball. Not, look, let me put it this way. There's a reason he started the season opener last year. There's a reason he started six of the seven games. Well, they had no one on the roster last year except true well, freshman Jordan Simmons. You mentioned the Collins stuff. He wasn't Anthony right. William, Anthony Williams was back last year, and he didn't last long before he, he entered the portal and he transferred. Um, you know, Collins, I like, mentioned the COVID thing. Um, and then Simmons – uh, I don't think you Brandon. mentioned Jordan Simmons actually when you were just running them down. I mean, he had 56 oh, series last my, year. My bad, my bad. Yeah. I, somehow I went, I missed Jordan Simmons. Yeah, he. I yeah. mean, he was the bright spot of the running game last year, to say the least. You know, and he closed on a good way. The game, the Penn State game, was his best of the season. 
think he had 72 yards. There was one he was like a quarter step away from breaking for about a 70-yard score. Um, so he was impressive as a true freshman. So, yeah, sorry if I somehow missed him on the list of running those guys down. But, yeah, a lot of potential there for him too. Um, Brandon Wright has since, you know, he was – he burned his redshirt two years ago as a true freshman. He really didn't get – I think he five for six carries last year. And uh, now he's a DN, so that thins out the room a little bit. But um, back to my point, they had a number of running backs last year. The reason they, they, did, they weren't putting Connor Hayward out there because they thought he was the third best option. They thought he was the best running back they had last season going into the season. So that's why he was getting the carry. So, I mean <laughs> – I'm not saying he can't have a role. I mean, I think what you said, he can catch. I think a third down guy, pass protection, he seems solid. I guess if I was to look at it, you want to find two of these guys between Simmons, Joyner, Kenneth Walker, and uh, uh, Elijah Collins. You want two of those guys maybe to carry the ball on early downs. And then I think Hayward works in on third down. I mean, I, based on yeah. the playing time last year, that, I think that's probably what we're looking at. Here. I think he is more of a third down back. Yes, yeah. I would agree with that. So, I mean, his role may, might be more secure than anyone else's based on last year and the amount of time he's been in the program. But then again, you're adding two, you know, pretty accomplished division. Well, not accomplished, but at least in Joyner's case, he was a four-star kid, went to Auburn. And then Kenneth Walker, we saw his flashes last year and the year before at Wake. So the talent level in the room has definitely gone up. So it'll just be interesting to see how and who gets the carries here. Yeah, I would be, I would be absolutely stunned if Connor led the team in carries again this, this upcoming season. Um, yeah. Not to say he isn't going to get any, but I would be shocked if he did. Um, again, one of those, those two guys are, are likely between Walker and Collins, I think, to, to do that and see how they split them up after that. All right, and we don't need to uh, – I assume you're going to do an offensive line preview. That obviously pays. Oh, for... I've got... I'll have one for wide receiver. After the running backs, it'll be wide receivers, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, secondary, and uh, special teams. So everybody will want to tune in for the special teams one to see who the long snapper and holder is going to be, you know. Well, we'll have more. We'll have more of these pods to go along with it, I guess. But uh, obviously, we will learn more hopefully in fall camp, and uh, probably more so by the opener to see who's well, going to get carries. <laughs> yeah, and though I guess if fans were looking for a bright spot for the running game, is it? It'd be really hard for it to get any worse. So yeah. you know, this last year was the lowest rushing yards per game in program records dating back to 1947. Um, zero rushing touchdowns by the running back. So, yeah, I don't know how you get worse than that. Uh, 2.6 yards per carry. So I would expect the running game to be improved um, in the fall. And that's just not going to work in the Big Ten or for any team, really. Yeah, you're not going to win. Yeah. You know, and the, the two games they topped 100 yards on the ground, guess which ones those were? <laughs> Michigan and Northwestern. Yep, uh, there you go. And so those two were wins. All right, cool. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Uh, we appreciate everyone for listening. Again, if you could please like, rate, and review the show, it would be very much appreciated. Uh, and, yeah, check out our work on MLive.com slash Spartans. When's the, when's the running back preview going on, Matt? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? All right. That's so, the plan. All right, cool. So check out for that. Uh, look out for that. It'll be more discussion of what we sort of just talked about, but uh, probably some more detail with stats and whatnot in case we missed it. But uh, again, appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, have a good weekend. Enjoy the summer. Uh, dodge the, the rain. I'm sure we're getting more of that. But uh, until next time, thanks for listening. And go Green.